Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, and I say this every single week, please hit the subscribe button. Make sure you come back. We post every Friday. And today I'm going to start with a small apology about exactly that. For those who are quite attentive in our audience, and some people dropped me a message or mentioned on our Facebook group, we didn't post last Friday. Apologies. In hindsight, we probably should have, given that it was Easter and everybody had lots of free time. We weren't planning to post last Friday because we wanted to have a little break, the same as we did over, over the Christmas period. So apologies that we weren't there uh, last time, but we are going to continue our series today on social media. And one of the most important things with social media, in my opinion, and one of the things that I focus most of my career on so far, has been on helping brands make money. And today's going to be no exception to that. Today, we're going to be talking about how to make money from paid social through your Shopify store. So again, apologies for last week. And that's what we're going to be covering today. And today I've got a very, very special guest and a huge thank you to her for jumping in last minute. Her name is Hayley and she's an absolute expert on paid social. So Hayley, without further ado, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here and I look forward to chatting more about paid social and how we can help all of your listeners on gaining revenue and sales. Excellent, because that is exactly the aim of the game here. Um, as everybody will be listening there with a little pen and paper out thinking, how am I going to make more from paid social. So we'll come on to all of that in a minute. But just before we dive in, Hayley, do you want to just give us a quick overview, quick background to yourself? So how you came to be here, what sort of things you work on, and a little background to, uh, to your, your paid social expertise? Yeah, sure. So I've actually been in digital for about eight years, uh, worked in a few various sort of sides of digital, um, a bit of organic social media, a bit of SEO, some paid search. So I've got a good understanding of the whole strategic way that they work together, but I really enjoy the paid social side of things. It's something that I, I've always been passionate about and something that I've really enjoyed and found rewarding. So I've probably been working for specifically in paid social for about, I would say, seven years. And in that time, there's been a big evolution of how it's actually sort of performed and how to work with it. And so it's a very, very fast-changing channels. So I've always got to be relevant and present when it comes to understanding how to leverage sales in this platform. So worked with some big clients before, uh, Boo Avenue, who had no social standing whatsoever from, from a paid point of view and turned them into a few million pound clients within two years. And then I've also worked on Amazon. So I've got some really, really big clients under my belt, but I've also got some of the small guys, the one-man bands, small businesses just looking to get leads in or get sales in. And I've also got a large spectrum of 
different sort of product types because I think paid social is um, it's an interesting one and it's all about understanding who your audience is and how that specific product that you've got and that you've got to sell is actually going to convert in this channel. So yes, um, it's all about your return on ad spend ultimately when it comes to the performance side. I've 100% just been focusing on performance-driven marketing in the past few years. So the brand awareness side is great and amazing, but it's all about performance when it comes to my expertise. So that's how I am sort of judged and looked at from from the client's point of view. So yeah, and I think ultimately, if you want to grow your business, you need to focus on growing your client's business. It's as, st- as straightforward as that. So definitely. And I, I love the fact and I think we're so aligned on this, that just the fact that it, it really is all about money at the end of the day. And I hate to say it like that, because there's so much other stuff there. But certainly when you're paying for advertising, it really is about, and you mentioned return on ad spend, it really is about, you know, how many dollars, how many pounds or rand or whatever currency we're in. It really does depend how much have we spent out and how much have we made back, isn't it? That That is the ultimate equation. There is nothing more important in a sense than that. Absolutely. And I think that's sort of across all digital channels. So, you know, there's been a big evolution of how the, the brand owner has looked at this because a few years ago, you would be looking at billboard advertising, TV adverts, you'd be putting money into something. You're not aware of how that's actually going to return your spend in terms of sales. But this is sort of how we used to work. We used to go in blindly and just put money behind flyers and all these sort of offline marketing metrics. That's what I studied. Everything was offline. So when you have this introduction of an absolutely trackable form of advertising, we are now able to track this return on ad spend and we're able to track how valuable each digital channel is. And I think this is what makes paid social advertising so strong because we can track every single bit of spend and how it's actually converted for you and for your brand and for your return on that spend. So it's it's really so powerful when it comes to that. And there are a variety of paid socials platforms. You've got Pinterest, you've got Twitter, you've got TikTok now. Um, but my focus is in business manager and Facebook and Instagram specifically. The main reason for this is because we're able to really leverage what is probably the longest standing social media platform that we've got, which is probably only just over 10 years old. But it is just so powerful because there is such a massive user base on that specific social channel. So that's why I choose to focus on this. And it is way more trackable than the other channels when it comes to understanding your return on ad spend. Sure. And I guess let's focus on, I think it'd be good to focus on Facebook and Instagram for most of this session. As you say, it's it's got the biggest audience size. And I think one of the other big things as well is that, as you kind of mentioned, the platform's quite advanced now, isn't it? There's a lot of, we won't go into too much detail right now, but there's a lot of complicated things you can start to do on it, which is good when you're starting to really drill down to who the right audience is and what actually makes you money. So you spoke as well about tracking. And I think yeah, the, the more you can start to really track the right kind of people, the more actually you need a more sophisticated platform to be able to reach them, as opposed to, you know, and I'll name and shame Twitter here. Twitter is awful for advertising. I mean, I, last time I touched it was about six months ago. And actually just trying to set up a campaign was so broad. And we found that our clicks were really expensive and we didn't really reach anybody. And bearing in mind, I'm a PPC expert <laughs> trying to make that happen. I found it so difficult to reach the right people. 
Um, so I guess the f- first kind of big question for you then, Haley, and one we'll unpack together, I think. How, how does somebody start out on Facebook, assuming that they've you know, set up their business manager account? We won't go into sort of details of where to click and that kind of thing. But what would you recommend in terms of somebody starting out their first campaign, their first dipping their toes in the water on, on Facebook? What sort of things should they be looking to start with? Okay, that's a really good question. So there are so many different sort of elements to to setting up a paid social campaign. But what I would say, first and foremost, they that the client needs to have is the pixel placed on your site, whether it's a Shopify site or the integration. So and just quickly, sorry to interrupt, but just quickly, what's pixel? Because I know some people are going to ask me that on uh, <laughs> online later. What, okay, sure. what is pixel? Just a quick one hundred and one. Okay, so pixel is a bit of code that is placed on the back end of a website, and this is what Facebook uses to track and to optimize to sales. This is the most important thing for Facebook to have visibility on who your customer actually is. So without that pixel code, it is very difficult for Facebook to find your customer. So that is the 101 of what will make this work. And there is a way to do that very quickly within, bear in mind, most of our audience would be Shopify. There's a there's a hundred different very, very quick ways to do that on Shopify. So if anyone needs any help, just a quick Google of how to install Pixel on Shopify. Um, and I recommend Shopify's own site with, with this sort of thing. There's lots of guides on just how to set that up quickly. So sorry to interrupt. I just thought I, I know I'm going to get questions on it. <laughs> I just want to make sure we cover all the bases today if we can. So. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I think I sometimes work in this too much that I actually don't understand what, from layman's terms, someone needs to understand and know. So that's perfect. And <laughs> I'm definitely guilty of that myself. So, um, but anyway, see, yeah. So, so for, they've got Pixel set up. So, what's the next sort of thing then that they should be uh, should be looking to do? Okay, so there is another really strong element that you can leverage that almost every e-commerce store, every brand has, and this is called your custom audience. This is your database of your existing customers. So, what Facebook can do is it can actually leverage the data within this database and find lookalikes or people similar to this this custom data of people who bought before from your site or potential subscribers. So that is really, really key to making a success of your paid social campaign. So I would say between the pixel and a decent audience lookalike, as well as obviously creatives, you will have a winning combination of what you need to firstly find your target audience and put the right creative in front of them with these working together. I mean, it, it is really tough to talk about them in, in isolation because all of these sort of elements contribute to your most successful paid social campaign. But I would say when it comes to looking at the absolute necessary, it would be your pixel placement and the audience. And then obviously without an ad creative, you, you know, you have to make sure you've got an ad creative in place, but these are these are the key key elements that you need to have a successful campaign up and running from the get go. And so I think the the main thing you've mentioned there that just rings uh, absolutely beautiful bells in my ears is using customer data. And I think in terms of using it, just so everybody's clear, what what Haley's talking about is not you studying the data and trying to pull out learnings from it. It's actually feeding that data into Facebook and Facebook will then work out from the data who they think your customers are, what sort of demographics to run ads to, et cetera. So you start to use a bit of their sort of AI, don't you, as, as opposed to you just 
creating an audience and saying, okay, so people interested in frequent flying and uh, Ferraris, um, I'm going to target those guys because they've got money. This is much more detailed than that, isn't it? And it's essentially creating a bit of an AI system where it's going to start testing and trialing things. And as soon as they work, it will start finding more people like the ones that have therefore worked and converted through, uh, through the site. Definitely. So again, something that has evolved massively from the sort of business manager Facebook side of things is these the way that they find audiences. And the AI has become so smart that even the guys who've created it can't keep up with how smart they've become. Because this is something that not a lot of people understand or know about Facebook is that once you've logged in and opted in to become a Facebook member, you can even close your Facebook tab, you can search across the internet. But as long as you are logged into Facebook, whether it's on your mobile or on your desktop, Facebook is gathering search data from your logins. So this is how it manages to find interest targeting. So again, someone who is interested in a Ferrari might come up as part of a lookalike audience, but they've actually been searching the term Ferrari outside of Facebook. And this is what makes Facebook so powerful because it has so much data to leverage and it can establish a persona out of each and every one of their users. So it's really, really, in my opinion, the most powerful way of targeting, especially if you're after new customers, especially if you're prospecting to new people and trying to get new customers to your site and new traffic to your site. Because this is also something that needs to be clear is that you can ultimately look to your return on ad spend, but we need to focus on getting you traffic to your site because without traffic, you won't grow your brand. And Facebook again comes in at as one of the cheapest channels for traffic because it is so relevant. This isn't doesn't mean to say that Google Ads doesn't give you great traffic from a Google shopping point of view, but it is a great way to scale your traffic and then again come back and retarget that traffic and support all of your other digital marketing efforts. So it's it's really powerful when it comes to to prospecting and to gathering new data and new customers ultimately who may not convert initially but could convert three months down the line as long as we're staying top of mind for them with full funnel strategy approach. So this is also something that Facebook has really um, sort of driven down in terms of how you will see success. You've got the, the sort of upside down triangle. So you've got prospecting right at the top of the funnel You've got the consideration phase in the middle, and then you've got that conversion phase at the bottom of the funnel. And it's about tailoring your ad creative and your audiences to leverage each part of this conversion funnel. But a big part of this also from the conversion and the bottom of the funnel point of view is that Facebook is great for supporting other efforts outside of just Facebook prospecting um, when it comes to paid search, when it comes to influencer marketing, organic, social Every other touch point that you have when it comes to driving traffic to your site can be re-engaged with on a visual level on Facebook. And I think that's probably also something to note. Facebook is visual and it's the most, again, powerful way to communicate your, your brand from a visual point of view because you can make it look really fancy. You can have beautiful brand pieces and this is just another siloed platform that will showcase your products and, and cut out the noise because you might have 
like 15,000 products on your site. And this is actually a client that I've got who has so many products on her site. And for her to, to also showcase these products from a visual point of view is really difficult in other channels. But on Facebook, we are able to create tailored campaigns to showcase each and every one of these products visually. So that's also really helpful. Cool. No, I think, thanks so much for that, because there's so much in there. I mean, I agree with everything you said. And I think a couple of bits I'm going to pull out quickly, um, I think are really key points here. One is the buying intent point, because I think a lot of people, and I'm, I'm on the record saying this as well, when comparing Google to Facebook, Google ads, you've got generally a much, much better buying intent in one sense, because people are actually typing in the thing that they want. But equally on Facebook, a lot of people assume, and again, I'm on the record saying this quite a lot, um, you know, that on Facebook, people aren't shopping the products. They're minding their own business, doing what they want to. However, as you said, and this is where Facebook's advancing quite a lot now, is it knows when people are shopping for things. It's not just the case now that Facebook, you have to just sort of build an audience out of thin air and try and get some, uh, try and get some clicks through that audience into your site. What Facebook's now able to understand is where people have buying intent, where they are currently shopping products. And I've certainly noticed that if I click on an ad on Facebook for something, I'll get more ads for that thing. Because Facebook's now, even though I'm not on Google shopping for something or searching for something right now, Facebook knows I'm in the market for something. So the other day, I, you know, the UK is heading towards summer at the moment. Um, and it sounds like we might actually be allowed out of our houses for summer, which would be a lovely, uh, lovely treat. And I was looking for some uh, furniture for my garden, you know, just a couple of nice benches, a little swing seat. And that's all I see now on Instagram and Facebook on, on the advertising is I see lots of those things because it knows I've got intent. It knows I've clicked on two or three of those items. Therefore, to another advertiser who sells those products and has a good USP and a good brand, etc., they know full well that this is an absolutely perfect time to uh, to be advertising to me because they know I'm in the market for that product. And I think that that for me has been one of the biggest advancements in Facebook advertising of the last probably 12 to 24 months um, is Facebook starting to understand that journey. And I think that's where it's going to have a real edge actually on Google because it's you don't have to wait for somebody to type something into Google to find you you can find them on Facebook with that buying intent already. Definitely. So that's that's very much the case. And, and it's also about ensuring that you are in the same space that your competitors are. So they might have come through and searched a term outside of Facebook and come through on a Google ad for a competitor, but now they might not have converted there, but now Facebook can come back and showcase, you know, your competitor's brand in Facebook. So it's just, it's a different different way of, capturing that potential customer again and almost taking them from the, your, your competitors. But saying that there are different products that work differently. So for example, you might have a plumber, a plumbing issue and a plumbing business, and that person has searched, let's call it broken pipes, and they're converted straight away on a Google campaign. In my opinion, that is where Google would perform better because they would see a Facebook ad, but by that time, they've already got an urgent emergency that they need to attend to. Um, a Facebook ad just doesn't work that way. So because of Facebook being more of a push marketing tactic and Google being more of a pull marketing tactic, it's about finding that balance. So, I mean, we know that we can tap into every type of audience on Facebook if we use these lookalike audiences and interest targeting and all these wonderful things. But it's really important to note that it ultimately comes down to the product. This is what I've learned after the last 
call it eight years, we can have everything in place from a targeting point of view, but it's the product and the price points to a degree that will ensure that you're getting sales. But, you know, saying that if you're tapping into the right audience, the price point might not be an issue too. I mean, I've got clients who have 10 pound crafts that they sell and they fly on Facebook. I've also got a client who sells a thousand pound dresses and they fly on Facebook. So, you know, as long as we can tap into the right audience or you can tap into the right audience, that shouldn't be an issue when it comes to selling your product. But again, there there are different sort of scenarios and external factors that contribute to how well you're going to perform on Facebook. I think that's really key though, isn't it? And an answer I get a lot when I ask questions on this podcast and lots of our dedicated listeners will know that um, I get this answer a lot is I ask questions and people say, well, it depends. And I think you've just outlined two really, really good examples of where it really does depend. Because when you said the right price point, my first reaction was, okay, what do we mean by the right price point? And you've unloaded that perfectly, I think, in terms of actually one product needs to be expensive, another product needs to be cheap, another product needs to be, it needs to be middle of the market. And I think that's where, as you say, getting the audiences right, whether that's a completely new audience or based on customer data, ideally customer data. But I think where you've got the audience absolutely right, you know that they're in the market for a product or they would be interested in this product. Sometimes even just the case of if they knew it existed, they would be interested. You know, we've had a client that we ran Facebook ads for for about a year and it was a health capsule that starts at uh, £200 for your first month. It's a very expensive product and that's just a small capsule you take once a day and just advertising the capsule did not work at all. But advertising the capsule alongside a few celebrities that take it worked really, really well. And we had to be very careful on Facebook, of course, with pharmaceuticals. You know, this product was approved in every market pretty much across the world. Regulators had approved it, etc. So it was safe. But we didn't have to focus on those things in the advertising. What we had to focus on was who else has this thing? You know, it had to be a recognizable celebrity endorsing it or it had to be some sort of problem. So there's several different problems the, uh, you know, the product would help solve. And one of them, for example, was menopause, which pretty much every woman is going to, uh, is going to suffer or struggle with at some point in their lives. So we deliberately targeted women in that age group with a specific piece of content showing how we've got a solution. We've got something that can really, really help with this thing. And some of the ads had testimonials and case studies and news articles, again, just to show that, you know, this thing was, uh, was completely, uh, completely trustworthy. And then the other half of the things were more about actually what's in the product, you know, what is in this thing. And we deliberately set up Facebook to show one campaign, as you say, to the wider part of the funnel, the next campaign to the medium part of the funnel. And then if we got permission from the client, we then ran an offer at the bottom part of the funnel only as a retargeting ad just to hook them in at the last minute. And that free offer was actually a free next day delivery, which I think most people got anyway. But we had to do, obviously, to follow trading standards, rules in the UK and same in the US. But I think that was a really interesting example of where we had some really good content. And again, I think the examples you've just given of, you know, the, the right price is not necessarily the cheapest. But my next question um, is going to be about, well, you, you just mentioned one of your clients has got thousands and thousands of products and she struggles to know, you know, in terms of creating content for all of those products and that kind of thing. I know for a fact, a lot of our listeners, quite a few of them are drop shippers, quite a few of them have just bought, you know, two or three of each item, but thousands of items. So they have a similar scenario. Um, how do you go about making content for that? Do you just sort of choose a small amount of products and start advertising those on Facebook and Instagram? Or do you try and do a bit of a mass 
mass testing budget and then see what works and then trim it back to the ones that have worked. So what would your approach to that be, Haley? if they've got thousands of products and they don't know where to start or to advertise everything or just start with one? What, how would you approach that? So this is, this is a really, really good question. And the one answer is dynamic ads. This is the, the most powerful form of advertising in Facebook when it comes to selling products. And when it comes to e-commerce, because dynamic ads are able to pull through all of your products on site. You can then create ad sets from your full product list, and you can pair that with a a beautiful ad creative. This is called a collections ad, where you can actually have a lovely brand piece of perhaps a lifestyle image. Let's call it handbags as your, your feature image. And underneath that, you could have the actual list of handbags in a product format, deep linking to the actual product. And this is really powerful because you will continuously have different products showcased across Facebook and Instagram and the audience network to ensure that you are keeping that intention and that brand fresh when it comes to showcasing what you've got. And and this is why it's so important to Facebook because you need to ensure that your frequency doesn't increase. So you need to ensure that you're continuously showing different product to your potential customer because the more you have, the more chance that you're going to have something for somebody who will convert. They might see, let's call it a red handbag at the top of the funnel. Then they might see a green handbag at the mid of the funnel, but they were really after a black handbag, which they will see at that conversion point and they will convert on that. So it's just the absolute go-to. So if you've got an e-commerce brand and you've got products, you need to plug in your catalog. You can use this for prospecting as well as for retargeting. For retargeting, it's the go-to because ultimately product sells. So you really need to ensure you've got it plugged in at, at the retargeting level. But I like to ensure that it's on both prospecting paired with some brandy piece and then in the retargeting campaigns too, because Again, Facebook is the only channel that will be able to showcase all your products and that it can be seen across everything as efficiently as possible. So that's how I would suggest you would be able to leverage Facebook for showcasing and basically selling all of your products. Well, not all, but most. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be nice to sell all of them. Uh, well, that's- <laughs> We, we've got, in fact, we've got a, just for everybody else's benefit, we've got a series coming up actually in May about scaling. And then we've got another one in June about um, growing, selling, buying Shopify stores and businesses. So uh, do stay tuned for that bit. But um, yeah, I, again, I completely agree with what you said. And I think it, it really is a challenge. And we do sometimes challenge stores that it, when it looks a bit too much like a sort of land grab, you know, a kind of let's, let's just have whatever products we can get our hands on and chuck them on the website it does get difficult to market because you start to lose all the things that actually make a customer buy. You know, I use the phrase a lot and I've probably used it in the last five episodes alone, you know, that marketing has been lost from digital marketing. I think, you know, it's all very well, all these systems we're talking about today, but you as a business owner out there, you need to be thinking about, you know, what are your USPs? What are your products? And the other thing as well, which I'm going to ask you another question in a second about this as well, Haley, is target audience because, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, we play a game sometimes with the clients and we call it a game, but really we're trying to work out what they really know about their customers and what they don't know. We pull up some customer profiles from Facebook Pixel and from analytics and things like that. Um, And even looking at some of the customers actually in Shopify itself, if they're on Shopify and work out, you know, are they male, female, what's their age group? 
what are some of their interests? How quickly did they buy the product? You know, things like that. And it, you know, you're never going to have 100% of all the data in the world. But we always find it interesting how the target customer and the actual customer are different. And not because they're trying to change who their customer is at the moment. They're different because they don't really understand who's actually clicking on the website and buying things. Facebook changes a lot of that, though. Facebook gives probably more data than I've ever seen in my life in terms of interests and what people are doing. What are your thoughts then, Haley, on target audiences and what data you can actually get out of Facebook that's not available elsewhere in terms of like who's actually buying stuff, who's interested? Um, so this is also something we're thinking out of the box on because I've got a magic show um, guy who just does magic balloon shows and I actually use Peppa Pig as a target interest. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so the reason for this is that we know that a parent is probably, you know, haphazardly searching for Peppa Pig to put it in front of their four-year-old child who is actually the target audience for this magic show. But we're trying to tap into thinking outside of what you think are the obvious search terms of your customers. So again, something if you're like looking into um, finding that real affluence audience, perhaps rather add in search terms or, or interest terms like the latest iPhone, successful books, entrepreneurial books, if you're trying to look at tapping into that real sort of high revenue or high value customer. So it's just thinking about how you can leverage their habits outside of the obvious interests and 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 plug that into your into your targeting mix to be able to find who you're looking for. And that that is really important when it comes to a niche audience that you're trying to find and a, a niche product, especially a high value product. So again, luxury travel, all these interests outside of the obvious will will see success from, from a targeting point of view. I think it's absolutely spot on. I love the example of Peppa Pig and the Magician. What, one thing we've spoken about quite a bit over the last few months as well, again, if anybody wants to skip back and listen to older episodes or re-listen if you've missed something, um, we spoke quite a bit, especially with Trustpilot, about focus groups and actually what reviews can tell you about your customers without having to run a specific kind of physical or digital sit-down focus group with customers or try and get them to fill out a survey. You can use things like customer reviews to get into your customers' heads. Now, we spoke about that with Trustpilot. And then a few weeks before, I think it was the second week of this year, we spoke to Deliciously Guilt-Free, who are one of our clients. They're a Shopify store that sell uh, cakes for people on a diet, which is absolutely perfect for somebody like myself as a product because uh, I love cake and I love losing weight. But again, those guys were talking about some of the focus groups they've run with their customers and how they've actually built like a whole membership club kind of community for people to talk about how their diets are going and that kind of thing. And I think some of those spaces are so valuable then to find out, as you say, Haley, what are the other associated things they're interested in? And it, this is quite a nice way that actually you'd never be able to use Peppa Pig because it's trademarked and it's brand locked and it's not your brand. But you could use their audience to leverage, you know, people who have recently searched for Peppa Pig or people that follow Peppa Pig online is a good audience to then create. And I think some of this is just being really, really cunning and clever with how you how you start to chop up your audiences and how you want to actually get hold of customers. One that used to work really well and Facebook and Instagram, admittedly on Business Manager, they can't make their mind up with what they're doing on this. But we used to just go, 
straight in for who's your next biggest competitor, as in the next one up. So who's bigger than you, but not the biggest. And we would just target their followers. And that seemed to work really, really well. And then the platforms stopped you being able to f- target likes uh, or followers of a page. And then I think, they're, they think they've re-allowed that now. But I do remember coming into the office one morning and finding an email from Facebook in my inbox saying, ah, oh, we've updated our system. We're no longer doing this. And all our campaigns were dead, uh, which was quite frustrating um, and without warning as well. But um, yes, yeah, so I think I, I love the fact you've used that example of targeting something that's completely different to magic. But clearly, you wouldn't be looking for that unless you were absolutely interested in in the magician as well. If that was, you know, his target audience was, um, you know, young children um, in, in the entertainment space. Yes, absolutely. And it's also worth noting that over sort of the Black Friday period, competition in in the Facebook space can become quite quite hard to to ultimately compete with. So. That's a, an example of when you need to really think out of the box because your bidding will become really expensive. That space is going to become saturated and it's going to become increasingly difficult for you to gather sales over that time. So if you can tap into an audience that doesn't necessarily have competitors sitting in the same place, then you know this is key to success over that more competitive period because just this last year with COVID and e-commerce just absolutely booming, it got really difficult to to actually gain traction and to gain performance and sales over that Black Friday period between November. So again, another another way to just to, to strategically think about when it comes to that time of the year. So yeah, um, I've seen just great success from that. But again, with your listeners, I think if they can go ahead and introduce interests that they understand and they know that are are in the sort of target market, then that's where you should expect to see your initial success and then build on that. Cool. No, I completely agree. And I think, um, I mean, another question then, and we, we get this a lot at Parker, just ask Parker, which is, um, I'm now the CEO of, if anybody wasn't aware, um, <laughs> listening into the podcast. But yeah, the, what we get at Parker a lot is um, we get people reaching out saying, I would like to start a Shopify store. And one of the challenges with that, is, of course, is we look after Shopify stores. So if you're not already running, it's, it's quite difficult for us to, to, to support unless you've at least got your products and your shell and everything else. But a common question they ask, and I'll ask you the same question here, Haley, but slightly different phrasing is they always ask us, you know, what product should we be selling? And if they ask us at spec, the con- you know, my consultancy, absolutely fine. You know, we, we will advise, we'll do some keyword research on Google and have a look at what competitors are selling that they're not, et cetera. But with Parker, it's normally people that are starting out for the first time. So same sort of question to you then, Haley. but focusing on paid social as a channel, what products tend to do really, really well on paid social and which, you know, same question, but other way around, which just do not work well in your experience? Okay, so I would probably answer this question more on a price point point of view versus actual products. So what Facebook needs to perform well is data, ultimately. So the more purchase data that Facebook can send back from your Shopify site, the better your campaign will perform. So if your price point of your product is, let's uh, I mean, I, again, I don't want to set a specific benchmark, but let's call it under 50 pounds or dollars then the chances of that product moving is much higher than a 300-pound product or a 400 or 1,000-pound product because then your conversion is obviously going to be much lower if it's it's a higher price point. That also then means that Facebook cannot optimize fast enough 
to sales. So if you've got something that's that's a fast mover and a, a good price point and something that has proven to sell well, obviously this is going to to do better in Facebook because it has that data to leverage. So yeah, from a product point of view, I would say the lower the AOV, the better, regardless of what product it is. Cool. Is Again, I, we always come back to data and, and we have this in Google Shopping all the time. It's a horrible, horrible equation to try and get right in the initial stages of launching a new campaign or launching a new site or trying out Google or Facebook for the first time, where you have to try and get this little seesaw perfectly lined up, don't you? A balancing act between spending enough to get the data in, but not spend, but you know you're not going to make good ROI instantly. So you don't want to spend so much that you've wasted loads of money. It's so difficult to get that balance right, isn't it? To get, as you say, to get that data in to then know what is going to sell well and what's not. Definitely. And another another thing that Facebook really does well at is driving you that traffic, like I mentioned, at a good cost. So you might not see sales or as many sales as you expected in the first month, but by the third month, you've built up a lot of data in those last three months that by the time that the third month comes along, you can now introduce a really aggressive retargeting campaign. And that money you might have spent in month one is starting to convert for you in month three. And and that data will continually feed. So you you know you almost need to give your Facebook campaign three months minimum to give it the best chance of performing for you. And also bearing in mind that you're driving this new traffic, you would see your brand search campaigns just, you know, skyrocketing or, or increasing incrementally with that increased traffic. So again, you've got the support from other channels to really justify the leveraging the Facebook campaigns and the data that it has for you to the best possible way. And at the moment, Facebook have also introduced it uh, a learning limited sort of flag in your campaign saying you're limited by budget. Oh, I hate exactly. that flag. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I see it all the time. And sometimes it's there for like six months and it's like, go away. <laughs> I, I'll do the learning. You do the, uh, you, you just run the campaign sort of thing. Exactly. And then they strategically ask you to add more budget. And so, you know. Yeah. Can't learn because you're not spending $400 a day. And it's like, well, we're not making any money. So we're not going to throw more away. Like, you know, we've got a budget. We'll keep spending that until it works and then we'll up it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, this seems like a fair trade off. Yeah. But, you know, also on that point, sometimes it also makes sense, say you've got a monthly budget, it could make sense for you to upweight that budget into two weeks so that you can get the most out of that budget and get the best reach and give Facebook the best opportunity to find you your target audience instead of spending it over a month where it continually has this learning limited sort of phase that it cannot actually find you the audience quick enough. So sometimes, especially when it comes to testing, we prefer to upweight budget to to get the testing out of the way, get Facebook to find your audience, get everything stable, and then you can pull your budgets right back to what's working. So that's also something to note. If, you, if you've got the sort of confidence to do it, this is the best way that Facebook works. When you, you actually put a higher budget into, into a shorter time period than the same budget over a longer time period if that makes sense. Yeah, and no, that makes perfect sense. And I think just, just so everyone's aware as well, is when we, when we talk about pulling it back or now it's got data, there are two things you can do with that. One is that uh, the platform will then just know who converts. So if you then switch your campaign to conversion optimization or to you know set an ROI target in the campaign settings, 
you're much more likely to hit it now you've got some data and you've got some sales in there, even if the sales themselves have cost too much and there's not enough of them. That's the first thing you do with that data. And the second thing is you can start looking at the reports and saying, okay, well, that particular audience there didn't work so well for me. This product here is not working so well for me. And when Haley talks about trimming them back, that could either be the budget or it could actually be, uh, you know, or a combination of the two, but it could equally be you actually taking things out that clearly aren't working. And that's the management side is to try and keep kind of filtering through how we, how should we set up the campaigns, what groups or what products should we group together, what kind of advertising should we put in, what budgets do we set, what audience do we target, et cetera. So it's not an easy task by any means, but as you can probably hear from both of us, it's, uh, it's incredibly worthwhile in the long run. Somebody used the analogy recently on, a, on another podcast, apologies, I've forgotten which one it was, um, given that I seem to be shuffling podcasts in the car at the moment. Um, but they, they said, if you imagine Facebook, Instagram advertising and Google shopping, if you imagine them a little bit like farming where you're growing crops, the more seeds that you plant and the more you look after those seeds, the bigger the harvest, the more crops that will then start to grow. If you only plant 10 seeds and you expect 20 plants to grow, it's just not going to happen. And I think that's why you need to look long term and strategically at these things. I think all the success stories and case studies you can read of, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Haley, about transforming a business, um, you know, Boo Avenue, transforming those guys up to up into the millions in a couple of years. Well, that's great. But I bet on day one, you weren't spending millions by any means. I think on day one, you're probably spending the absolute maximum you could get out of them, which wasn't much because they'd never tried it before. And then you start to grow and you start to really invest in it. And everybody's aware of how much time this thing's going to take. So I think, you know, it it really is the sort of reap what what you sow equation. Yes, that's spot on. Um, It's also about proving the channel, you know, um, proving what it can do and proving how it can optimize your cost per sale down month on month and also how that channel, specifically Facebook, can support other efforts outside of Facebook, like I've touched on before. But just an example is I've got a, a high street client who have just introduced a, an influencer marketing strategy, and they are giving away pairs of sunglasses to hundreds of influencers, and we are seeing such an uplift on the retargeting sales from Facebook because we're supporting these influencer drives and influencer campaigns and the the massive increase in traffic to their site. So even if we took the the idea of finding new customers in Facebook out and we just focused on supporting other efforts outside of Facebook, it really is um, looking at this from a holistic point of view, looking at how we can work with Facebook and paid search and influencer marketing and every other sort of touch point that you've got in your digital marketing strategy and, and leveraging them from, from all angles and upweighting, downweighting budgets and mirroring the brand look and feel of, let's call it some specific influencer who's just posted about a pair of sunglasses. And, and, and even sometimes what we're finding at the moment is this native advertising almost where we aren't creating this real brandy piece. We're actually just taking posts that influencers have perhaps shot on their iPhone or perhaps an unboxing video and plugging that into an advert. Because I think that users nowadays are are getting tired of seeing adverts. They know they're becoming smart. They know why they're seeing this advert because they're searching that term and everything. So I think going forward, it's important to look at what kind of creatives you're working with and keep it as sort of 
non-advertising-ish as you can because that looks like an in-feed product, something that you were scrolling anyway in Instagram, um, obviously with a call to action, but it also makes it more relatable for your potential customer. You know, someone wearing the handbag or the belt in a specific way, it makes it more relatable. So it's also perhaps something you can fit into your strategy at some point, perhaps the consideration phase of your, your funnel, just to mix up what you're actually showcasing to your customer. And again, testing what will work because it also comes down to the product, comes down to what you're selling and and how your potential customer you're putting out there from a creative point of view. Absolutely. Cool. No, couldn't agree more. Look, Hayley, it's been great to have you on the show. Um, I've just just suddenly seen the time and I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, we always aim for 20 minutes and we've never got even close to that. So uh, we always get into great conversations, but Hayley, it's been great to have you on today. So thank you so much. And how can people reach out to you? What's the best way of getting in contact or finding out more about what you're, uh, what you're up to? Uh, great. So I've actually just sort of evolved into gathering a whole bunch of um, really decent clients and been working hard on this for the past two odd years. So I'm still working on a website, but you can get in touch with me at um, Haley H-A-Y-L-E-Y, at growthlinedigital.com. Once again, thanks so much for joining us today, Haley. It's been great to have you on the show. I hope it's been useful for everybody else. Um, so many learnings there. And as I mentioned right at the start, we've got a couple more series coming up in the next few months. So do stay tuned. We've got a few more guests lined up as well on social. So we've got a couple of influencers and potentially a couple of other people as well before we kick into a new series in May as well uh, with, a, with a sponsor, which I'm very, very excited about. So lots and lots going on. So stay tuned, hit the subscribe button. And again, uh, two weeks ago, I did say we'll be back every Friday and we did miss a week. So apologies, but I can safely say that next Friday we will absolutely be back. So uh, thanks so much for listening. And we'll be tuning in again next week. Cheers. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.